Would you guys pray with me, please? Dear Lord, I thank you so much. Thank you for your word that never changes. Thank you for your spirit that infills us as your, as your people, your family. Thank you for the opportunity just to open up your word. And I pray that you open our hearts even as we do. Fill us with your spirit. Lead us. In Jesus' name, amen. Arguably, there are two kinds of crises in life. There are bear crises and zombie crises. You can tell that much just walking down a country road. I mean, just looking around, you know. Because bear crises, if, if we as a group are having a problem with a bear, we as a group are safer than the dumbest, slowest member of our group, right? All I really have to do is be smarter and quicker than Floyd. I mean, don't get me wrong. I want Floyd to make it. I want all of us to make it. But for me to make it, I just need to be smarter and faster than Floyd. Because if Floyd, the bear's only going to eat one of us. Uh, if there's two bears, I need to make sure that I've, I'm up the depth chart a bit. You know, I, I got to make sure that I'm doing well. But in general, I just got to make sure I'm faster and smarter than Floyd. In a zombie crisis, that's different. Because we are only as safe as our dumbest, slowest person, right? Think that through. I could be in a bunker, beautiful, impregnable bunker. We, we have just made this thing perfect. We've got triple redundancies on the locks. I'm here with a bunch of rocket surgeons who have an average IQ of like 9,000, right? We are brilliant, but if Bucky leaves the back door open because he wants a breeze, we're all going to have a problem. And the zombie infection is not going to stop with Bucky. Way to go, Bucky, right? It's just going to mess with all of us and continue messing with all of us, even though it's just one little mistake. Arguably, part of the problem with the COVID-19 epidemic is that some of us were treating it like a zombie infection, while some of us were treating it like a bear infection. And there's going to be a problem. At least one of those sets of people is causing a problem. Or, or... You remember the old, original, old, original uh, Jurassic Park movie? Remember Nedry, the programmer that, that, to cover his escape, unlocked all the gates and all the cages and stuff? Nedry technically created both a zombie crisis and a bear crisis at the same time. Like, wait, you open the back door of the bunker and let packs of bears in. Way to go, Dennis. You know? So I go into all of this because I want to talk about Aachen. I want to talk about how one person can mess things up for everybody. And if I say that, sometimes people go, yeah, no, well, it's just a little thing. It's a zombie crisis. And I want us to remember that some things are a zombie crisis. You can mess things up. You can mess things up in such a way that you don't just mess it up for yourself. You mess it up for everybody. You infect everybody. So let me, let me go backwards. Let's put things in, because if you haven't already done so, open up your Bibles to the book of Joshua. We're still going through some things from Joshua. Help me out here. What did the people promise Joshua back in Joshua 1, verses 17 and 18? They promised him. They said, just as we fully obeyed Moses, <laughs> I know, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. We will obey you. Only may Yahweh your God, and, and yes, again, that's 
capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. That's, that's them saying we're specifying which God we're talking about here. We're not just going to be following gods. Nope, the right God. Yahweh, your God, be with you as he was with Moses. And whoever rebels against your word and doesn't obey your words, whatever you may command them, will be put to death. That's what we're going to do. That's our commitment. We call down capital punishment on ourselves. So what did Joshua command them when they conquered Jericho? A command that he got personally from Yahweh. Joshua chapter 6, verse 17, he said, The city and all that is in it is to be devoted, to be cheremed to Yahweh. We talked about that word, cherem, this idea of it's, it's to be completely set apart, irrevocably, unequivocally, not your stuff. There are times if something is haram, it is cursed, it is to be destroyed utterly. Other times if things are harem, they're supposed to be set apart for the Lord. But whatever the case, if it's haremed, it ain't yours. Do not mess with it. It's not to ever be yours. Keep away from the harem things, he says, so that you will not bring about your own haremage, haramage, by taking any of them. Otherwise, you're going to make the whole camp of Israel liable to being haremed and bring trouble on it. It's a zombie crisis. Don't do that. All the silver and gold and the articles of bronze and iron are sacred, set apart to Yahweh, and they have to go into his treasury. And so what did they do when they conquered Jericho? In verse 24, we're told that they burned the whole city and everything in it. They put the silver and the gold and the articles of bronze and iron into the treasury of Yahweh's house. Everything is good. Yay. The end. They all lived happily ever after. What's the first word in chapter 7? Huge, tiny, little, massive, little pivot word. Oh, but the Israelites acted unfaithfully in regard to the devoted things, the harem things, the unequivocally, irrevocably not your things. Achan, son of Carmi, son of Zimri, son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took some of them. Way to go, Bucky. This is a zombie problem, and you just brought it into the whole group. So Yahweh's anger burned against Israel. Does that, or has that ever struck you as being a little unfair? Achan took something, so God was angry with all of Israel. All of Israel didn't take something. All of Israel seemed to be doing pretty good. It was one guy that messed this up. Why is God angry? Is God so petty, so wrathful, that he'd smite everyone because of one guy's sin? The Bible never teaches anything like that. Okay. Short answer, I could just say, read up on a guy named Adam. Slightly longer answer is, sin is never a bear problem. We tend to treat it like it is. If I can just get over this one thing, if I can just be a little better than this, everything's fine. Sin is always a zombie problem, right? We even talked about this in Sunday school about our words. Do our words ever just go out there and affect no one? Like, well, no, your words always affect. And those people that they affect, affect other people. And those people affect other people. Now, what if your words infect others? who then infect others, who then infect others. Your actions that we tend to think of as bear crises are actually often zombie crises. And I would argue sin is always that. It's the nature of sin is that it's 
always selfish, self-absorbed. It's always destructive. It's always toxic. And it always spreads out. It's always saying, what matters to me at this moment is more important to me than what matters to God. Isn't it? Isn't that the nature of sin? If sin is missing the mark of what God tells you to do, by definition, when you sin, it's you saying, what matters to me at this moment is more important than what matters to God. But it's also often saying, and what matters to me is more important than what matters to everyone else and how it's going to affect everybody else. I don't care if that's having an affair. It's not about you. It's about me and also about you. I don't care if it's about doing illegal drugs. I don't care if it's screaming at somebody in rage on the highway. I don't care if it's stealing from the office or stealing from God. It's always, always, always self-absorbed and infectiously toxic. Achen took some of the chrem things. So Yahweh's anger burned against Israel. Just like Joshua had said, because if you remember from what I said earlier, he said, keep away from the harem things so you don't bring about your own haramage by taking any of it. Otherwise, you're going to make the whole camp of Israel liable to being haremed and bring trouble on it. He actually said, that's what would happen, right? You would infect everything, a little leaven infecting the whole lump. Your sin is not a bear that's just going to bite you. It's a zombie spreading necrosis. We just don't think about it like that. And so when we read about Aachen, about how God is, is saying this is affecting everyone, we go, well, that doesn't seem fair. But the whole group has a responsibility to make sure that the whole group sticks to the commitment that the whole group made when the whole group consecrated itself as a group to promise to obey God. And that's the opposite of the way the world thinks. Because the world tends to think it's about me. Don't judge me. Don't correct me. If you say that what I'm doing is wrong, it means you are harming me. Don't do that. And if I hurt myself, I'm only hurting myself. It's a bear problem. And if you dare judge me by telling me that I should stick a fork in my eye, that hurts me. It's my eye to gouge. And yes, I know my little brother is watching. And yes, I know he follows my example. And he's probably going to gouge out his own eye with, my, with his own fork. But it's really about me. And I, I, and I understand that when I go to the ER, I'm going to be using up finite resources that could have been used to help somebody else. And I understand that I'm tying up the court system when I sue McDonald's because they have plastic forks. And they didn't prevent me from doing this when they should have. And how dare you judge me and make me feel bad as a church. But then you didn't make me not. Oh, you tell me not, you judge me like prudes and tell me not to stick forks in my eyes, but did you make me not? I still did. I'm standing right next to you. I had a fork in my hand, and I pushed you away, and you let me push you away. So I'm going on Insta-Face Twit. I'm going to talk about how those Christians love to say prayers and thoughts about how they're telling you you shouldn't be sticking forks in your eyes, and yet here I am with a fork sticking out of my eye. That church did nothing to help me. Never a bare problem. Your sin infects others, it infects others, it infects others. It sours others and sours others. This is dangerous zombie crisis, which is why we're told so many times in Scripture, hold each other accountable. Hold each other accountable. Admonish one another. Correct one another in love. The world sits there and goes, ah, so you're always judging. You go, no, in love. Because if I don't do this in love, I'm a zombie now, right? If I do this in bitterness, if I do this as I'm better than you, then I am infecting. 
But if I say nothing, I saw the zombie bite. I didn't do anything about it. I'm sorry. Just keep using this analogy as you think about your favorite zombie movies. I hate zombie movies. But my point is, if you do nothing, the infection goes on. If you, if you correct and judge obnoxiously, you create the infection. You have an obligation to lovingly speak truth. Aachen took some of the harem things. So Yahweh's anger burned against Israel. And the scariest thing, the scariest thing about this particular zombie movie, they had no idea yet that anything had gone wrong. They just conquered Jericho. They lost nobody. They lost nobody. Jericho fell. The walls went like a collapsing balloon. God is with them. He promised to be with them. I'll never leave you nor forsake you, he said. Yeah, I'm, I'm there. And all the Calvinists say, hey, God, no matter what, I'll never leave you and forsake you. That's great. So Joshua, thinking everything's great, sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is a comparatively little town, which is near beth Aven, to the east of Bethel, and said, go up and spy out that region. Sound military strategy. That's what they've done with, with Jericho. It's what Jer- Joshua knows. And nothing's changed, right? God was with us with Jericho. We're going to do the same thing with AI. Nothing's changed. It's heartbreaking to think that Joshua has no idea that they're already under haramage. All they had to do was be strong and courageous. Remember, this is the, the two consistent things that we keep talking about in, jo- in Joshua. Be strong and courageous. Just do everything God tells you to do. Be conversant in his word and do what he says. Obey. If you do that, it's great. You win. Just do that. And hadn't they been doing that? So the men went up and spied out AI. And when they returned to Joshua, they said, yep, not all the people are even going to have to go up against AI. We got 40,000 guys. Maybe send two or 3,000. This is nothing. I mean, let the other guys just rest. They've been working hard. There's just a few people there. It's like kicking over a fruit stand. It's nothing. Nothing that's compared to this impregnable Jericho. And since, you know, God is with us, everything's cool, right? So about 3,000 men went up, and they got trounced by AI. I love the Hebrew word here. They didn't just get beaten. They got smacked down. They got just beat the snot out of them by AI who killed about 36 of them. They chased the Israelites from the city gate as far as the stone quarries, struck them down on the slopes. And at this, the hearts of the people melted and became like water. And I know that 36 may not sound like a big deal when you got 40,000 people, but, I mean, that's 36 more than they lost at Jericho. And they got chased down and beaten like bunny rabbits up on the slopes. I mean, it's like, instead of being this terrifying force, that Jericho was afraid of. And then Jericho fell, so everybody's afraid of. Then they went to Ai, and Ai, 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 Tremont beat them. Ai kicked them, and, and they ran and scampered. They lost every bit of street cred. Plus, which 36 of your friends and family would you shrug off if they died? They thought they'd been undefeatable. Like, there's no way. After beating Jericho like this, there's no way we can lose. Can you imagine how terrifying a wake-up call this would be? That they're like, we can't lose. We step into the, into the Jordan and the Jordan parts. 
we blow horns and the walls fall. And then Tremont beat us up. We have no idea what's going on. You cannot trust God, right? Because sometimes God helps you and sometimes he doesn't. You ever notice that in life? Sometimes God answers your prayers and sometimes he just doesn't. Sometimes God is blessing you and sometimes he just doesn't do his job. You've noticed this, right? Clearly the difference is God's shifting character. I agree. I think Peggy's right. No, it's not God's shifting character. It's either us or the situation that makes it a different answer at different times. Somehow something changed between Jericho and Ai, and they didn't know what it was, but God did. But how are they supposed to reconquer the promised land if they can't even beat Ai? So Joshua tore his clothes. He fell face down on the ground before the ark of Yahweh, remaining there till the evening. And the elders of Israel did the same. They sprinkled dust on their heads. They're mourning not only the loss of these 36 friends, but the apparent loss of relationship with God. Why did God... God said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Where did he go? I guess I can't trust him. Remember, they haven't read this story yet. They don't know what happened. All they know is that God promised to be there, and then he wasn't. And Joshua said, Sovereign Yahweh, why did you ever bring this people across the Jordan to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? Why? why? If only we'd just been content to stay on the other side of the Jordan. A chunk of our people already were. That half-tribe of Manasseh is over there. Why would we do this? God, why have you abandoned us? Even Joshua makes the assumption that maybe the problem is God. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Just be strong and courageous. Obey everything I told you. Isn't that what we did? Didn't we do that? They promised God's, they followed God's promises in everything. They'd done everything they were supposed to do. I don't know. How would you react today if you prayed and you desperately needed something and then God didn't come through on it? Would you think that maybe God somehow dropped a ball? I mean, not you guys. Not you guys. I think better of you. No, no, no. Some people might. I've run into people that have. I prayed and I prayed and it didn't happen. How can I trust a God like that? I know you guys have never done that. But have you ever been at least tempted to think that way? Tacitly thought, well then, I don't know that prayer is that trustworthy. Are we tempted to think that maybe maybe our faith is misplaced? So Joshua, Joshua prays, O Lord, and this time it's capital L, little O, little R, little D, Adonai. This time he's saying sovereign. First time he's like, I'm praying to you specifically, God, and I'm making sure I'm doing it by name. Here he's like, you're my king. So even in the midst of feeling like he's lost relationship with God, he's still like, you're still my king. You're still Adonai. Lord, what can I say now that Israel's been beaten up by its enemies? The Canaanites, the other people of the country are going to hear about this. They're going to surround us. They're going to wipe us, uh, wipe out our name from the earth. I mean... We had fear working for us up until this point, and now we're not the scary guys. Now we're the scared guys. But to his credit, Joshua's concern, his main concern, isn't Israel's welfare. Because he says, what then will you do for your own great name? We're the people of Yahweh. And if we all 
get destroyed, there's no people of Yahweh anymore. Who carries your ark? Who carries your name? To his credit, Joshua's still saying, I'm, I'm worried about you. This, this reconquest of Canaan, this salvation for people who aren't part of the people of God, that say, I, I believe in God, that started with Rahab here in Canaan. What happens to that? What happens to that legacy? And Yahweh said to Joshua, stand up, what are you doing down on your face? Love that. Joshua, get up. You're not the one who sinned. And you've got stuff to do. You are not the one who sinned, but you are the one that's going to hold the people accountable. All the people are under haramage. But you actually have a responsibility here. You are all affected by this toxic infection. But you're the one I'm tasking with surgically removing the infected limb. Get up off your face. I, what's wrong? Why have you left us? Never did. Get up. Israel has sinned. They violated my covenant, which I commanded them to keep. They've taken some of the devoted things, the cheren things. They've stolen. They've lied. They put them in with their own possessions, which is the one thing you're never supposed to do with haram. It's not good. You don't want to touch it. You want to get rid of it. You don't want to come anywhere near it. And they took it, and they kept it, and they lied about it, and they put it in with their own stuff. I'm sorry. Lesson from COVID. What happens, theoretically, if you have not been immunized and you stand in a very small space with three people who are hacking up a lung from COVID and they lick you on the face? You run the chance of being infected. There are worse things in the world, but it's not fun. In the same vein, what happens if you are honoring God in everything you do, but then there's one haram thing, one piece of haram that you take into your life, and you say, this, I'm incorporating it into my life. I'm putting it with my stuff. But it's okay, because I've kept it separate. Is that the way that works? Or does it infect everything? took it. They lied. They put it in with their own possessions. That's why the whole Israelite group is now haram. That's why the Israelites can't stand against their enemies. Not because I've changed Joshua, but because you guys placed yourselves under the curse I warned you not to do. I said, don't step in a hole, and you stepped in a hole. I said, don't stick a fork in your eye, and you went, what, this one? Don't do it. They turn their backs and run because they have been made liable to haramage. And this is a zombie problem, not a bear problem. It's not a, well, if we, you know, so we just get rid of it and everything's fine again. You know, you're thinking like a bear. I will not be with you anymore unless you, wait a second. What did you just say? I will not be with you anymore. He never said in this juncture that the, I will never leave you nor forsake you is unconditional, right? I'm not planning to leave you. I'm not going anywhere. If you guys want to sprint off in the other direction, that would be foolish. I will, I'm not planning to go anywhere. All you have to do is be strong and courageous and obey everything I tell you. Do that, and I will never leave you or forsake you. But you didn't do that. So I'm not going to be with you anymore. And all the Armenians go, yay, 
Actually, well, not yay. You don't want to yay that one, do you? I'll not be with you anymore unless you destroy whatever among you is devoted to destruction. Haram, whatever's haramaged. Treat it like it was supposed to be treated in the first place. But now I'm not just saying put it in the temporal treasury. I'm saying destroy it because now it truly is just infected. Now go consecrate the people again and tell them, consecrate yourselves in preparation for tomorrow for this is what Yahweh, the God of Israel says. I'm telling you by name. That which is devoted is among you. That which is haram is in your midst. That which is never supposed to be in your midst is in your midst. O Israel, you cannot stand against your enemies until you remove it. And everybody hears this, right? Including Aachen. Everybody go home. Okay, what well, we don't realize who, who can I pick on? Who hasn't been picked on for a little bit? Uh, Brian. Brian has stolen something. Nobody knows it. He hasn't. Shh, no, he hasn't really. He hasn't. Okay. Brian has stolen something. He hasn't told anybody. And I get up here and I go, the Holy Spirit is laying on my heart that somebody has stolen something. And I think we all need to pray about this because we all need to come back in an hour and God will reveal who has stolen something and is hiding. Do you think Brian would be like, huh? You can look around. I wonder which of you did that. You know, or is he like sweating bullets going, how did they know? Aachen hears this. Tomorrow we're going to come back and I need you to all make yourselves holy because somebody has brought haram into our midst. And Aachen's like, and that would be me. So long as you keep the cursed is anyone who doesn't totally give this stuff over stuff. As long as you keep this stuff, you're going to be cursed. Cursed. This is not rocket surgery. So, in the me- in, yes, I know. In the morning, present yourselves tribe by tribe. And the tribe that Yahweh takes shall come forward clan by clan. And the clan that Yahweh takes will come forward family by family. The family that Yahweh takes shall come forward man by man. So who's bringing the people out? Technically, you're bringing yourselves out. You need to take a step out. You need to deal with this. Who's going to be pointing them out and say, this one? That would be Yahweh. And then who's going to have to step forward and admit it? You know, that would be the people again. It's a careful, slow-moving focusing. God's doing the highlighting, but each person is supposed to be taking ownership themselves of their own responsibility. Everybody is supposed to be coming together, and everybody comes together by tribe, and everybody comes together by clan, everybody by family, everybody household, everybody... So is this sin and how we're dealing with it a personal thing or a community thing? Which? Yes, that's an unfair question. Don't accept that sort of unfair question. It's both. Is Aachen guilty? Yes. Is the community having to deal with this? Yes. Are they all under a curse because of it? Yes. So they all have to help deal with it. He who is caught with the harem things shall be destroyed by fire along with all that belongs to him, which is not just his stuff, but as we talked about in small group on Friday, that's also an idiom for his family. Everything and everybody that belongs and touches this God. 
He has violated the covenant of Yahweh and done a disgraceful thing in Israel. Actually, that word disgraceful, Hebrew has a stronger um, connection with the concept of foolish. He's done a foolish thing. The unfortunate thing, if I say that, it sounds less bad. Which sounds worse, disgraceful or foolish? It should be foolish. Disgraceful is bad, but foolish is saying, I know wisdom and I choose its opposite. I know the wisdom comes from God and I choose the opposite direction. It is brutally destructive every time you see foolishness in Scripture. I'm sorry, Jesus says, if you call your brother a fool, you're walking down that road toward murder. Yep, it's toxic. In our culture, we tend to go, yep, foolish means, whoop, my bad, sorry. No, this is toxic. It's the opposite from everything that you know is right. You know it's bad for you, but you smoke it anyway. You know it's going to hurt people, but the heart wants what the heart wants. You know it's wrong. You know it's sinful, but let's not be judgmental. You know somehow we think of folly as a goofball mistake. But the the wisest man who ever lived, who made his own mistakes in Proverbs, says that, A fool is going to die for a lack of discipline, led astray by his own great folly. This is not a minor thing. So when the Bible says he'd done this foolish thing, it's like, why would you do this? You know what works. Why would you do this? And what's worse, this isn't a bear problem. It's a zombie one. You know that if we just are strong and courageous, if we just do what the Lord tells us, walls fall down. Waters part. Why would you not follow that? Why would you not follow God's directions? That is foolish. And it's a foolishness that affects everybody else. So early in the next morning, Joshua had Israel come forward by tribes, and Judah was taken, brought out by Joshua, coming forward by themselves, pointed out by Yahweh. The clans of Judah came forward, and he took the Zerahites, And he had the clan of the Zerahites come forth by families, and Zimri was taken. Joshua and his family uh, had his family come forward man by man, and Achan, son of Carmi, the son of Zimri, the son of Zerah, the tribe of Judah, was taken. By now, I'm pretty sure he is feeling really bad. Everybody has put the spotlight, including God himself, putting the spotlight on Achan, and everybody, everybody is there watching him. And then Joshua turned on Achan and said, my son, give glory to Yahweh, the God of Israel. Give him the praise. Tell me what you've done. Don't hide it from me. I love it that he doesn't just say, that's it, beat him with sticks, hit, throw rocks at him. He's like, what did you do? We still don't even know the extent of it. My son, what did you do? And I love the turn of phrase that they give here. Give glory to Yahweh. That's it massively crucial paradigm distinction that they have that somehow we've lost. When we want somebody to give a testimony, we really want them to take it seriously. We tell them, put your hand on the Bible and swear before God that you're going to tell the truth. And a lot of times what we're saying is, because otherwise you're guilty of perjury and you're going to go to jail. Tell the truth or there will be punishment. Joshua goes, tell the truth as an act of worship. Your punishment is already set. Tell the truth as an act of giving glory to Yahweh. Don't lie now. Yahweh said it was Aachen. 
Are you going to go, no, it wasn't. So you're calling God a liar? Give glory to God. Please, as an act of worship, tell me what happened. Tell me what the truth is. Give an honest testimony. You made a decision to place your priorities above God's priorities. Reverse that now. I'm going to hack off the limb because there's nothing I can do about that part, but reverse your wrong thinking. And Achan replied, it's, it's true. I've sinned against Yahweh, the God of Israel. I did. This is what I done. When I saw in the plunder a beautiful robe from Babylonia and about four pounds of silver and a wedge of gold weighing a little over a pound, I coveted them and I took them. They're hidden in the ground under my tent with the silver underneath. So all of Israel suffering for the theft of five or six pounds of shiny metal and a fancy robe. Is that worth 36 lives? Is it? Would Aachen have said, I'm willing to murder 36 of my friends to take five or six pounds of shiny metal and a robe? And Aachen would go, of course not. That's what you did. Because you were thinking of it like a bear thing instead of a zombie thing, weren't you? Because it's not about the magnitude of the action. It's about the magnitude of the attitude of the action. It's not about how much poundage. It's about assuming that God's grace is equivalent to God's blindness. And God says, do not take my grace as a license to sin. So Joshua sent messengers and they ran to the tent. And, yep, there it was, hidden in his tent with silver underneath. They took the things from the tent, brought them to Joshua and all the Israelites and spread them out before Yahweh. All this stuff that was supposed to be haremed, irrevocably given over. There it is. Then Joshua, together with all of Israel, took Achan, son of Zerah, the silver, the robe, the gold wedge, his sons, his daughters, his cattle, his donkeys, his sheep, his tent, everything that he had to the valley of Achor. And Joshua said, why have you brought this trouble on us? Yahweh will bring trouble on you today. Because you didn't just haram yourself. You harammed all of us with your haramage. And now you have become haram. We can't keep you here. You made yourself a curse. You aren't just cursed. You are a curse. You're not just bitten by a zombie. You are the zombie. And everything you touched, your family, your cows, your tent, we can't keep any of this. Because God was making a statement with Jericho and we botched the statement. So we have to make a harder statement now. And this is on you and I don't want to do this, but this is what you've done. 36 guys, our friends, died because this is a zombie crisis and you thought it was a bear crisis that you could stop that you could control and now i got to cut off a limb because that's what they promised that they would do if anybody didn't obey that's what they said they would do so all israel stoned him and after they had stoned the rest they burned them even the devoted things even the devoted things all the stuff that was originally supposed to go to God, God goes, I can't take this. I can't use this. It's all infected now. It has to be destroyed. All of it. And over Aachen, they heaped up large pile of rocks, which remains to this day. And then Yahweh turned from his fierce anger. Therefore, that place has been called the Valley of Achor, the Valley of Trouble, ever since. Aachen, you become a curse. So is God that petty, that wrathful, that he would do this? That one guy would change everything for everything? 
what happened with Adam, isn't it? Isn't that what happened with Christ? Didn't he become a curse to take the curse away from all of us? Didn't Christ becoming haram change everything for everyone? As much as we want to look at this and say, ah, how can God be so petty about this? God says, no, I want you to understand how toxic this sort of sin is, every sort of sin is. I want you to understand just how deadly an infection this is so that you understand why I take it all on myself. Every sin that anybody has ever done and I take it from you and I suck the poison from you and I say don't take it back again because you've been washed clean. But you only understand the magnitude of that grace if you understand that everybody was haramed because Aachen took five or six pounds of shiny metal and a fancy robe. Everybody's under a curse. That was one guy doing one sin. How many other guys have done how many other sins since then, before then, all around the world, all the time? And Jesus says, by one sacrifice, on one day, one man made all of that gone. All you have to do is let me pay it. Just let me do it. And then be strong and courageous and do everything I tell you to do because I know what I'm doing. And I'm willing to undo Aachen and all the other Aachens around the world. And what's really sad about all this is that if we actually cheat and go into chapter 8, Yahweh even said to Joshua, don't be afraid, don't be discouraged. I know that you would feel like you would, but remember, be strong and courageous. Do everything I'm saying to do. And we're going to move forward and you're going to attack Ai because I've delivered into your hands Ai, the king, the people, the city, the land, and you shall do to Ai and its king as you did to Jericho and its king, except... This time you can carry off their plunder and livestock for yourselves. Which means you go, if, if Aachen had just waited, if he had just trusted, your actions have weight. Your words have weight. And they're going to affect everybody. Let me encourage you. Make a choice today. Are those actions going to be the things that feel good in the moment? and infect others, and infect others, and infect others, our actions going to have a positive ripple effect. They're going to draw other people closer to the Lord, who draw other people closer to the Lord. You infect them with health, and that health infects other people with health. Because I guarantee, God's character hasn't changed. The sower of the seed, same sower, same seed. The only difference is the soil. So I encourage all of us, stop and think, what kind of soil am I going to be? How am I going to react to this? How do I see my sin? How do I see sin in general? Is it a bear problem or a zombie problem? Wait, how do I see being an ambassador? Let me encourage you. Aim for the positive infection. Amen? Let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you so much. I thank you that you take this seriously. You don't wink at sin, but I thank you 
can't thank you enough that in the process of taking it so seriously, you're willing to die to wash us clean from all of that. Help us to take it so seriously that we never take your grace for granted. Help us, Lord, in all we do to honor you and give glory to you. In Jesus' name.